Hi, I'm Ivan Berry, the announcer for Fulham, and you're listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. And welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Hope you're easy like Sunday morning as I wasn't watching that dull display Friday night against Derby. I was so put to sleep by that first half, I only really half cared about anything by the end of the game, truth be told. And I've made my bed that this team won't ever get that famous click everyone's predicting under this manager. But a draw is a draw and some would have taken that away at Pride Park. But am I being harsh? No. Is a draw a good result? No. Is this performance a huge statement of our mental strength, as Scott Parker says? No. But maybe my co-host can persuade me otherwise and highlight some key moments and performances with such footballing knowledge that makes Alan Shearer look like Al Murray and Jermaine Genus look like Jermaine Genus. Let's go. Fulham. Good morning, you lot. We haven't done this before. A nice little morning pod. I'll go to you first, Mr. Will. And we've also got Frenchie on the other side of this too. Was it a stretch too far for some to predict a 4-4-2? I mean, were you happy with what you saw in reaction to Barnsley, sir? Yeah, in a way. I mean, I was happy to see Hansen come back in. McDonald's taken out the squad, which obviously we didn't do well against Barnsley. So I understand why there will be players dropped. But I thought that he was, you know, one of our better players. And yeah, a 4-4-2, I think that is a bit of a stretch. I don't think we're going to change formation. The rest of the team, yeah, I don't really think you could complain about it, apart from maybe Arter in the team. Yeah, it's, it's an OK lineup overall. It's a game that we should be winning with that lineup. Is Kevin McDonald a better player than... Harry Arter. I know, I think Harry Arter's a prick, and I've said it many, many times. Mm. But in, ter- in footballing terms, is Kevin McDonald better than Harry, Harry Arter? I don't think he is. I, I think Harry Arter is, um, is, should be in the team probably before Kevin McDonald. There's a lot of nostalgia over Kevin McDonald because of the, the uh, connection with the 17 18 team. But yeah, I, I don't think he's a better footballer. I think the number one player for that position is Harrison Reed, but is he ever going to be bloody fit again? Yeah, well, Harry Arter does have the best pass accuracy in the championship from some of the stats that was, you know, floating around Twitter with 91.5% pass accuracy. But I, I don't know what it is for me. I just feel McDonald fits the team better. And maybe, yeah, he's not the better player as in, you know, he's not as quick and, and things like that. But I feel like he, he's better kind of reading the game and he works better with the team. You know, he knows Fulham, he knows the players that he's playing with. And for me, he's just put in better performances than Harry Arter has this season. I think Kevin McDonald is possibly more disciplined. And I don't just mean with going and kicking people, but just in the way that he plays, because Harry Arter seems to be something of a, an enigma. He's all over the pitch and, and Kevin McDonald is very much, you know, he, he marshals his area of the pitch yeah, um, and he, and he sticks to sticks to his game. Whereas I think Harry Arter is just a, a, a law to himself sometimes. But I just it's my personal thing. But I I think Harry Arter is a, is a better footballer. Well, we'll talk about that later on because Harry Arter did come off for Kevin McDonald the latter stages of the game. Just straight back at you, Frenchie. How bored were you this game? I'll tell you something. If I had known there was a Greg's at Pride Park, I probably would have just stayed there. At least the first half was an absolute shambles, wasn't it? Yeah, it was completely and utterly mind-numbingly boring. And this it's the way that we set up to play. You know, we have possession for the sake of possession. Tap, tap, tap. Oh, look, there's, there's a forward pass on. Oh, let's play it sideways. And then before you know it, we're playing it back and forth across across the back line. And we, we get nowhere with the ball. And that's it's so frustrating and it's so boring. And you look at Derby, who 
you know, didn't didn't have as much possession as us, but they were much more direct. And I don't know, you know, it's, it's going to be boring to talk about and it's going to be boring for people listening to this to hear that, you know, we're, we're repeating ourselves over and over again. We're not direct enough. We don't do enough good stuff with the ball. Yeah. Is it fair, Will, to say that, you know, I forgot any of the players were playing in the first half, apart from Rodat, the bat line, and maybe McDonald. You just think to yourself, where's Kenny? Where's the wingers? Where's Mitchford? It's all happening in the slow build-up play. It's always expressing ourselves best in our own half, isn't it? We just go nowhere with the ball. It, it goes forwards, you know, it looks like there's a chance to play a forward pass and it will just go back to the fullback, then back to the centre-back. And it, it's just a rotation again and again. And there was a there was a stat that came up after half-time about, you know, the Fulham players who had the most touches and the four most were Adoy, Ream, Hector and Brian. That's our four defenders had the most touches on the team in the first half. Is that not showing something? Surely it's got to be the midfield, like at least. The defenders should not be in the top four unless we're winning, you know, 3-0, 2-0 or anything. If we're winning at halftime, I can kind of understand it. You know, we're taking it slow, keeping the ball. But we're not. And our defenders have had the most touches. It just shows that we're not willing to push for that goal and willing to take the risks that we need to take. And that, that coupled with the fact as well that the overall stats at the end of the game, we had 61% possession, you know, 61% possession. And the, those four at the back are just tapping it around with each other. What's the point? What's the point in paying to get in to watch that? It's, it's shit. It's boring. Come on. And although the, the other stats here, that we had 17 shots overall with five on target. I can't remember us having 17 shots. I don't feel like that those stats are representative of, of the match that I watched. They obviously are, but I don't feel like I've watched a match in which... You know, we've had 61% possession and 17 shots. I feel a bit left out here, so I'm, I'm going to say some stats as well. I'm going to fling some stats at you. So the one that was really damning that was on Sky that everyone's talking about from WhatsApp group, but also on Twitter, is the amount of fast breaks that Fulham have as a team. And we are at the bottom of the table. Six in total with absolutely zero goals to show from it. The first half, we just looked laboured, no energy or determination. I know we say this isn't Slavisa anymore. It's a new Parker thing. But do you really think he wants us looking this blunt every slow start to every game, Will? The only way I can think of it is that he's trying to frustrate teams to start with and then come up with a really quick tempo to sort of catch them off guard. But it feels like we just get lost with making ourselves fall asleep and then nothing happens. He seems to kind of look like he knows what he's doing. Like you're saying, we play possession football, it looks good. But then when you're playing that for the full 90 minutes and you're not getting goals, you're not going to win games. We need to take risks. We need the fullbacks to push forward rather than take a few steps forward, turn around and pass it backwards because it's pointless. I watched uh, Parker's interview with Sky afterwards and they said to him, you know, do you think you need to take more risks and are you playing it too safe? And he just kind of avoided the question and says that, the team needs structure. So I think he's just too wary. And the, the problem is he's not willing to take risks. That I'm going to emphasise that a lot because if we don't take risks, we're not going to score goals. It's just not going to happen. And that means we're not going to go up. That's facts. I was just going to pick up on that stat that you said about us only having six uh, counter-attacks all season with, with no goals to show for it. But we just don't play that way. We don't. And again, I'm going to say it again, we're, we're not direct enough. We We keep possession, but... Maybe we should because we do have the players to play that way. And we've got a goalkeeper who's got fantastic distribution. So why not when, when you know, we've just soaked up an attack? Let's go. Because Rodak does look to do it. He looked to do it at one point last night. He comes running off his line with the ball to, to launch the ball up. But there's nobody. And, what, you know, when you've got AK-47, Cavalero, Knockart, they could run. They could run into the, into the opponent's half, get the ball up to them. But if they were just a little less bloody greedy with it, 
then we could play our way into a decent opportunity. But but we don't play that way. And I take Will's point about Scott Parker saying that we, we need structure around this team. And we do to a certain extent, but it's too laboured. We need to go a bit more the other way and just bit, take, take a few more risks. I, I completely agree with that. Well, risks were certainly taken at some point in the game, but it was a bit too little too late. It was in the second half and you actually started seeing all those players in the box again, crosses coming in. But we'll come on to that. Frenchy, you just mentioned the god that is Marit Rodak at the moment. Absolutely ridiculous performance. I mean, this man seriously made up for Barnsley in a huge way tonight. You and I were talking in the last pod saying how we were worried if he'd come back from this, the mental strength, etc., etc. I mean, I think a typical goal-keeping performance and we'd have lost 3-1 in this game. Is that fair to say, do you think, Mr French? I don't think I was worried that he was going to bounce back. It was a fantastic performance, but I guess most of the saves that he made were fairly routine, but he still had to make them and he made them well. And he does inspire confidence in the rest of the team because our, our defence aren't always brilliant. There was there was a moment in the first half where he, where he did make a great save, for example, where Rooney took a free kick from yes. just inside our half. Uh, Harry Arthur completely lost his man, don't know what he was doing. and I, I don't know the name of the Derby guy, but he, he had all the time in the world to kind of pick out the bottom corner across Rodak, but Rodak showed a good strong hand and kept the ball out. And I, I'm really pleased that he did come back stronger. You know, you, you look at Bettinelli earlier in the season when, when he made a couple of mistakes and it just spiralled and he kept on making mistakes, whereas Rodak's just stopped the rot completely. And he did that earlier in the season when he made that mistake against Middlesbrough as well, when he got sent off. Next game that he came back, he, he made another uh, a great performance. And most of his performances this season have been nines or maybe even tens out of ten. Totally. So, good for him. Yeah, I mean, he's a great shot stopper. You know, he saved, I think it was Tom Lawrence's shot. He, you know, gets down quick and he's there for the ball. And he saved a great shot off the line. It, it did look maybe quite easy, but it's still good to get up quickly and get there. Yeah, with know, the punch. punch off the line. Yeah. It, was, it was just the drama of that one, though, at the end of the game, wasn't it? Because yeah. it was like 90th minute and it looked like they were certain to score and he's just leapt across the goal. And like you say, he probably could have caught it or made it look a little less dramatic, <laughs> but he's punched it and then McDonald's blocked the follow-up. Um, yeah, that was good. But, but I was just going to pick up on, you mentioned Tom Lawrence. Uh, should we have a, a little chat about his, um, his shot in the first couple of minutes that he somehow managed to put out oh. of the stadium? How, yeah. <laughs> how many times do you see that in, in modern stadia these days? You never see anybody putting the ball completely out of the stadium, especially from because he was only on the edge of the box. The ball often goes out of Craven Cottage because Craven Cottage is a bit smaller, you know, maybe the Riverside stand or the Stevenage Road stand, sorry, the, the Johnny Haynes stand. But in modern stadia these days, you never see somebody clear the, clear the stand. What, what an absolute knob. <laughs> no, can't blame the wind for that one. I got to say though, I, mean, I, I did know that. I did notice it was quite windy in that game. Everyone's football shirt looked like a fucking sail on a ship. Everyone's talking about Marit Rodak, you know, getting a new contract, which would be very good to time down and see that amazing keeper bloom that Will just alluded to. I'm not too sure when his contract is meant to expire. I believe it's 2021. But that I think, out of all the sort of business side of things, that should be our first priority in giving him a new contract. So hopefully that will happen soon. The Sharks will be circling if he carries on playing like this, that's for sure. So it'll be good to time down. Well, a lot of Sharks are going to be circling at the end of the season, regardless of what happens, I think. All right, let's move on. So the 29th minute, good work from Bobby Reed, who picked out a decent cross, but his header was straight at the keeper. Now, Frenchy, you've been saying Bobby Reed is flattering to deceive quite a lot at the moment. And I believe on the WhatsApp group, we made a little dare to say, let's play a game how many times Bobby Reed beats his man. Probably a bit harsh, probably a bit cynical. How did you think he did in this match for you? Yeah, better. Better. I, I noticed him much more. He, he seemed a little bit stronger. 
Um, he was going past people, and yeah, that that chance that that you just mentioned was he did really well just on the edge of the box to go one way and leave his man for dead. And then, like you said, he he put a decent cross in that Mitrovic kind of um, just headed it straight at the keeper. But it was good work, and we need to see more more of him doing that sort of thing, especially if he's going to be playing out wide. We need him to be supplying balls into the box for Mitrovic. Yeah, it's just like you say, wingers need to cross it more because the, each winger seems to do something that stops them from crossing, you know, either playing a stupid pass or taking too many touches or cutting inside. We just need a winger that crosses it because as we saw, the goal was from a cross and that just shows us what we need to do. 100%. And you know what, talking of crosses, Joe Bryan, can someone just quickly tell me what the Derby fans' problem with him was every time he had the ball they booed massively and I just generally don't know it looks like Joe Bryan was going to sign for Derby but they ended up signing Scott Malone and um, huh. he, he he did a U-turn so they're obviously they're obviously still sore about that oh, Scott Malone's no no bad player I love Scott Malone no, I'll take him back now the penalty 55th minute Tim Ream handball bit harsh for you young Will uh, possibly I, I can see why the ref's given it but I, I also think, yeah, it's a bit harsh. You know, he's running towards the ball. He can't really put his hands anywhere else. But mm. really, we, we put ourselves in that position from playing out from the back. And Joe Bryan just play, played, you know, a stupid pass. And just got intercepted straight away. And then, you know, centre-backs all over the place, defences all over the place. We put ourselves to it, really. That's all I can say. I, I agree with you, Will, actually. I think I can see why it was given. It's one of those ones where if it's given against you, you think, hmm, well, he did try and move his hand out of the way. And was his arm in an unnatural position because he was just trying to balance? But it was up. But he did try and put his arm behind his back straight away and he just couldn't get it out of the way in time. Slightly harsh, but if that happens in the Derby penalty box and we don't get a penalty for it, then we're spitting feathers. So it's one of those ones, really. And then Wayne Rooney steps up and sticks away a lovely penalty, a bit cheeky, but... You know, that's that's Wayne Rooney for you. Now, Cavalier and AK-47 on for Notcart and Johansson, 65th minute. Another classic double sub when times are dire for Scott Parker. Do you think it works this time? Why why not at half-time this change? This is very similar against Barnsley. We should have made a change at the half, don't you think? I don't think times were that dire. We were only 1-0 down um, and still in the game. First half was boring, but we... We weren't awful. We we just didn't create anything. We had a lot of the ball, but we were hardly like up against it under the cosh, you know, looking like we were going to lose four or five nil. And in the second half, we came out, we looked much better. Uh, we already, we'd already looked much better. And as you say, 20 minutes in, Scott makes those changes. And within five minutes, one of those changes, you know, AK has set up an equaliser. So, you know, let's, let's, give, let's give Scott Parker credit because everybody was slating him whilst we were 1-0 down. But he makes a change that actually gets us a point out of the game in the end. And without that change, arguably, we'd have lost the game. Cav does bring light to the game. But as I've said before, Kamara comes on and he just gives so much energy. He, he wants to push forward. It is like a new Kamara that we're seeing. He puts so much effort when he comes on. He, he wants to play. You can just tell. And, you know, before when we were in the Prem uh, and maybe even the season before in the Championship, maybe he didn't put as much effort in. But when he comes on, he uh, he uses his ability as, as well as he can. And that's what we want to see from him. I w- I'd like him to start next game, to be honest, because I think he just looked so good against Derby. And he was the only one willing to cross it, which obviously we did get a goal from. Well, I mean, wingers actually crossing, surely not. And that led to a beautiful 
Mitrovic equaliser in the 71st minute. Something out of nothing. That's like almost 90% of our goals, isn't it, Mr. French? Talk me through this goal really quickly. Again, I don't know if it was something out of nothing, really. I mean, it was a good good cross and a cracking volley. It was a decent finish. It's a little bit behind him, and he's wrapped his foot around it and, and placed it in the bottom corner. But you, you give Mitrovic the ball in the box with, with a, a yard of space, and it's it's a chance. It's not even a half chance. It's, it's a good chance if, if you you know you get the ball into the box. But that's what that's what we don't do enough. Just coming back really quickly to AK forty seven. Yeah, I thought that was an excellent performance from him when he came on last night. And he often flatters to deceive. He he does run around a lot and doesn't really achieve much. But last night I, I was beginning to wonder whether he was going to get a winner for us um, after that goal. Would I start him in the next game? Probably not. I think he's better as an impact player, but. If he can have that impact every time he comes on, then then we're laughing. But that's the trouble. He's just too inconsistent. Yeah. And look, if Frenchie gives praise to AK-47, he definitely deserves it because you haven't been his biggest fan throughout the season. Um, but I, I know... Very true. But I, I know what you mean. Now, McDonald on for Arter in the 81st minute. We said we'd talk about this. Yeah, it's a it's a fine substitute to make, isn't it? Because those two are arguably fighting for one spot at the moment. And, and as I said earlier, McDonald's a a bit more of a, a disciplined player. So, you know, just protect the back four to try and make sure we don't concede, but push on for the winner as well. You expect a change like that to happen quite late on in the game. Are you still confident we can win the league with the way we play? Look, we've still got this tough run of games that are going to come up in the next three or four weeks. And if we come out of that with maximum points, then yeah, because we're six points behind West Brom at the moment, who are first. Obviously, they've got a game in hand, but we've still got to go there as well. And we've still got to go to Leeds. I think Tom Kearney said in the in the pre-match preamble yesterday that we're kind of looking just to catch Leeds at the moment. But I don't think so. I think we should still be looking to catch West Brom. I still think this is, we can do this. If we grind out a few more 1-0 results, it ain't going to be pretty. Would I be happy with this team going up like this, playing the way that we are? Maybe not, because I'd far rather be using the flair players to their full capacity on a much more regular basis. But can we do it? Absolutely. Do I think we will? I wasn't expecting... To draw against Derby, I was expecting to beat them and I certainly wasn't expecting to lose against Barnsley. But they're setbacks and I still expect West Brom and Leeds to have setbacks as well. Um, so I don't know if I'm as confident as I was before the Barnsley game that we will do it, but we can still absolutely do it. So the facts are, Rodak, Hector and Mitro are pretty much our best players at the moment because they're always getting man of the match. And, and most of our goals are coming out of sort of either wonder strikes or things that you least expect, sort of like the Mitrovic goal. I mean, obviously, like you said, it was a good cross. What I'm trying to say is that it just shows you that if Rodak, Hector and Mitro are our best players at the moment, the problem is certainly the midfield and the chances being created in the final third. Well, do you think this will get solved in time? Will we get this magic click that we are all expecting or hoping for, rather, under Scott Parker? Or do you think we could just plod our way to the playoffs and potentially maybe automatics? Oh, I don't think it's the players individually. I think it's what they're told to do on the pitch by Parker. And I, I think it's also who plays well together because there there's always seems to be, you know, when Arter's playing, for example, if he goes, you know, running off, then we have Kearney and Johansson in the midfield who are who are kind of similar players to that, like that they move towards the ball. So we kind of leave mm. the midfield open. So, you know, if we want Arter to play, maybe we need to have McDonald with him because Arter does run around the pitch a lot. He doesn't hold 
as as a six, he kind of plays more as an eight, which although he is kind of competing for McDonald's position, shows that maybe you do need both of them playing together. And I just think something needs to change in the midfield because like you're saying, it's scrappy wins, which is fine if we're getting scrappy wins every week. But the problem with scrappy wins, you can't win every single game like that. There's going to be games where you lose and draw when you're not putting in a good performance. That's the problem. Jamie, we spoke about this earlier in the week when we looked at the stats. We don't score enough goals from midfield. And we kind of, or I I certainly said during during that show that I I feel like the way that we play with Cavalero, Reed, Knockart and everything going from them or through them from box to box just kind of completely nullifies any threat that we've got through the middle from the likes of Kearney and Johansson. And Johansson, a couple of seasons ago when we went up, scored eight goals this season. He never gets anywhere near the uh, the bloody box to score. Mm. And I'd, I'd like to see us be a bit more patient in the build-up play when it comes to the likes of Cavalero and Knockout bombing down the wings and just either having a shot for themselves or just sticking the ball in the box only for, for Mitrovic to be the only one in there. If we were just a little bit more patient and flooded the box a bit more with our midfield, then I think we'd score more goals because Johansson is lethal in the penalty area, but he just never gets the, the opportunity to, to be in there. Yeah, it just needs more bravery, more risks and just turn the caution dial down by about seven, I think. What was your, what would be your Parker rating for this one, French? Go back straight to you. Six. I, I, I wanted to win the game and I, I feel like the way that we played in the first half wasn't good enough. We didn't create enough chances. Maybe we were just trying to ride out a storm and then go for it in the second half. But why? Because we've got players you know, to hammer Derby, really, if we wanted to on their day. Um, aside from Wayne Rooney, I didn't think Derby had anything to worry us. And the substitutions that he ended up making were good and they got us back into the game. So, yeah, very sort of average six. For me, probably a four because, I, I mean, like you're saying, the subs that he did do did get us a point. But we went out in the first half playing how we played. It just wasn't good enough. The defence, again, when Hector came in, it looked like it was improving, but it's still all over the place. And we just told, it looks like we're just playing it backwards all the time. It again, goes. I've said it so many times, but it's just risks. We need to actually push forward because we're not going to score. And it's all right, you know, playing out for a 1-0 win, but it's not working. So something does need to change because clearly we can't play like that when we're, going, when we're losing 3-0 to bottom of the league last week, drawing 1-1. And yes, yeah, yeah, 4 out of 10 for me. All right, I'm going to go for a 5, so we'll have 4-5-6. An average score for an average performance in the first half made up for it by some good substitutions and a lot more bite in the second. But hopefully we will look a lot better in time for Swansea. This is arguably a good result after a terrible performance against Barnsley, guys. That is one sort of light way of putting it. So we'll see. We'll talk about Swansea after this. Fulham. And welcome back. So now we are previewing Swansea, 7.45pm on Wednesday. So, guys, what are your predictions when it comes to lineup for this game? I'll go to you first, Mr. French. Well, I wonder whether Josh Onoma will be fit enough to be back in the team because obviously he was injured for the Derby game, which we didn't mention. If he's fit, then then I would imagine he'll be back in. I fully expect Harry Arter to, to carry on and Kearney. That'll be the midfield three. I wouldn't drop Bobby Reed If I was going to leave any of those front three out, I'd probably leave Knockart out because I didn't think he did an awful lot against Derby. So maybe Reed, Cavalero, and Mitrovic up front. And I think the defence picks itself these days. is Brian, Ream, Hector and Adoy. And obviously, Marek Rodak in goal. That would be what I started with. 
and lets I... Harrison Reed's back, of course. And if Harrison Reed's back, then then he takes that uh, defensive midfield position. I don't know. We we haven't even heard about him, so I've, I've, I don't expect him to be back anytime soon. Yeah, no news is probably bad news. And correct about Knocker, I thought he had an absolute stinker against Derby. He just looks like a FIFA player stuck on the joystick option where he's just trying to do a trick every time and messes it up. Will yeah. Knocker is- like as an impact player? What's he like as an impact player? Is he worth uh, having on the bench? Personally, I think he's more of a starter. I don't, I don't think he's the yeah. quickest, but he's quite he's better technically when he decides to you know pass. He just tries to be Ronaldo all the time, though. Or Neymar, yeah. he's just constantly prattling about, and he falls over, and and because of it, it's mad. Uh, anyway, anyway, all right. Well, let's look at Swansea's season so far, really briefly. They got off to an incredibly strong start under new manager Steve Cooper, winning six out of their first seven league games, including a win against Leeds. That's not bad. And they were boosted by the return of Andre Ayew and Boya. Baston, I believe that's how you pronounce it, who were high-profile Premier League signings who were just sent out on loan the season before to try and reduce Swansea's large wage bill. Now, after those seven games, their form plateaued out with the club really struggling to put any consistent form together. This includes a six-game winless run that occurred in November, which also included our 2-1 win, hello, over them at the Liberty Stadium. They are currently on a five-game winless run that includes two losses and three draws, and they've only had two wins since the beginning of 2020. Now, note, this does not include their result today, Saturday against Huddersfield, so we'll find out about that. It depends what kind of form they're in after that when we see them on Wednesday. But their full record so far is 12 wins, 12 draws, and 9 losses, and their cold difference is currently 0, and their current position is 11th. So, a game that I think we should be winning, for sure, especially at the Cottage. What what are your thoughts, Mr. French, on some of these lovely fine stats from Mr. Matt Stato? I feel like we always do badly at home against Swansea. And the fact that they're on a winless run, it's would be typical Fulham, wouldn't it? If we um, if if they didn't get anything against Huddersfield later on today, and then they ended their winless streak against us, it's just one of our bogey teams at the cottage. I think when we when we beat them earlier in the season at their place, I can't remember if they were top of the league or second, but it was definitely a bit of a coup because they were they were doing really well at the time, and we were we were climbing our way up um, after a kind of indifferent start. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how we get on. Their away record stats. I mean, Swansea have won five out of 16 away games this year. Uh, conversely, they have only lost three away games all season, with the first loss only coming in December in a heavy defeat to West Brom. So their away record is so-so. But like you said, their record at the cottage is good. And who knows? I think anything could happen. But on paper, as always, I feel like we should be hitting them hard in this one. Will, are there any players that you think we should be watching out for in this game? Yeah, so there's quite a few attackers, really. So... Andre Ayew is their top scorer of 10 goals and five assists. Mm. Four out of those 10 have come from set pieces. And you're talking about Baston, who's since left for Villa with uh, their Wesley injury. Who's gone there to try and help them. Brewster, who's come on loan from Liverpool, is quite highly rated, has three goals in six appearances. And Sam Surridge, who, if I am right, played for Oldham when we played them in the cup and they beat us. Sam Surridge has four goals this season. And... Connor Gallagher was on loan for Charlton for the first half of the, half of the season before Chelsea recalled him. And yeah, that was all good, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And uh, he's already got three assists in six games, so the new signings look to be doing all right. Matt Grimes is a central midfielder, and he's one of two players to have played every game for them so far. And he has three assists to his game, but he usually plays kind of as a defensive midfield role. 
and the other player to have played every minute is their goalkeeper, Freddie Woodman. We spoke about very briefly about the other fixture at the Liberty Stadium when we won 2-1. Mitrovic scored both goals in what was a pretty tough game, but there was, again, some brilliant saves from Marit Rodak, who, who kept us in that game early on, and then we went on to win the game. I think we, we were 2-0 up, and then Swansea got one back maybe after about an hour, and then we were a bit nervous towards towards the end of the game, but we rode it out and ended up getting the win. The, the stats from that game, we only had 53% of possession, but we did have 10 shots, of which four were on target. So pretty standard kind of statistics, really. Um, but obviously, two of those were, were in the back of the net, so that was that was fine. Total passes that day were 565, and our, our season average is 558. So very average kind of, uh, kind of game for us, really. 44% of our attacks that day came down the left-hand side. 10 of our attempts came from open play, uh, leading to 20% conversion rate with those two goals. And from all that then, what would you say your score prediction was, Mr. Will? I'm going to go with what it was before and go 2-1. I think, again, it will be quite a scrappy game. We're going to have to hold out for the win. I don't think we'll dominate. They're they're a good team. They've got some good players, you know, Brewster, IU. But yeah, I think it'll be a 2-1 win. It's going to be a close game with hopefully some good football. 2-1's got my vote. What about you, Mr. French? Yeah, I think I'd be inclined to go 2-1 as well, but I'm not confident just because of our, our record against Swansea over the years being, being being pretty poor. So, yeah, let's go 2-1. Now, I just want to talk about Swansea as a club and how we potentially might be looking at ourselves in the future here. Swansea, like Fulham, are a team who were very recently in the Premier League who got relegated in the 17-18 season. Now, despite Premier League parachute payments, the club had to offset and offload a lot a lot of their key players to remain financially stable. This included players like Mawson, hello, and Lucas Fabianski, and loaning out players like Ayu, Baston, Bonnie, Jefferson, Montero, in order to lower their wage bill, right? Now, they've had to rely on academy players, and so far, this proving successful with players like Daniel James, who's at United, Ollie McBurney, who's also gone, and being sold to Premier League clubs for a large profit. Now, the club announced losses of £7 million in July 2019. Broadcast revenue fell from £104.6 million to £51.6 million, with most of their profits coming from player sales, which have helped stabilise the club as they enter a second season in the Championship. They have one more year, one more year of parachute payments left, after which the club will be enduring tough times and, and they may have to lose their Category 1 status for their academy to make ends meet. I'll just go to either of you of this. Does, do you think this shows a sign of what we can expect, Fulham can expect, if promotion isn't achieved this season? Um, I mean, To be honest, I think we'll be all right. Uh, we, we've got owners that do have, you know, a lot of money. Uh, and even if they don't know as much about football as we'd like them to, they are always invested in the club. And no, I, I think we'll be all right. We, we know what we're doing to a certain extent and we've got a good club it's not just about the players on the pitch and the manager I feel like we have good backroom staff and we we know what's going on obviously it's always hard when you get relegated and you spend 100 mil when you go up that's going to be a big big loss but no I I think we'll be all right We've, we've got good owners it doesn't necessarily correlate the fact that the owners have got a lot of money because you've got financial fair play these days. And as Man City are finding out now, it's, um, you know, they're, they're in a bit of trouble over the way that they've allegedly cooked their books with advertising revenue, etc. cetera. Mm. Um, with, with us, I think we've got a lot of assets. 
And in the past, we've been a bit hit and miss with replacing our better players. So, you know, if, if we didn't go up this season, if we had to sell the likes of Kearney and Mitrovic just to, you know, make ends meet and, and balance things out, then I think Mitrovic is the obvious one that would, you know, you, you're looking at 50 million plus for him. Um, especially on the long contract that he's on. But he would be a massive loss and impossible to to fill his boots. It would all depend on who we ended up signing because we've got nobody in the academy at the moment who's who's ready to step up as, as Swansea had with the likes of Daniel James. Kearney, I, I said the other day, I, I don't really know who's going to pay big money for him at the moment because he's just not been performing consistently enough. I look, sorry, stats on Sky last night from when he first joined and you know he's, he scored 30 odd goals for us in I don't know I can't remember how many appearances it was maybe 170 190 something like that and his overall stats are great but if anybody comes to watch him these days they'll they'll notice how little impact he can have on a game and I don't think that anybody would spend 30 million plus on him at the moment um, I might be wrong though and then you're looking at who else could you could generate a, a bit of money if we still needed to Hector even though he's only just signed, a lower level Premier League club might sign him. If if we are really going to have to be careful and and sell players, then they're the ones really. Maybe even Rodak, um, yeah. If we if we had to, but I don't I don't think it will come to that. And I, we're still in with a good chance of promotion this season. But I don't. I, th- I think if we didn't go up, then I think probably the sale of of Mitrovic, which is likely to be inevitable, would probably be enough. And then we'd have to think, Christ, who are we going to get in to replace him, and then end up with some journeyman championship striker who could maybe could maybe do a job for us I don't understand the ins and outs of financial fair play and I don't really understand the ins and outs of Fulham's accounting structure to know how dire not getting promoted this season could be for us but we have got plenty of assets that we could sell if we needed to yeah I think you're right on that that we would be all right in the financial part but the problem is if we sell Mitrovic we are in trouble the, the amount that we've relied on him this season, like we, we're going to have to build a whole new team if we sell Mitrovic because they can't do it without him. And that's that's showing this season, really. So, yeah, maybe we'd be all right on the financial stuff, but I feel like we'd be a mid-table championship side if we keep playing the way we're playing without Mitrovic. Certainly with the manager we have. And that's 22 goals and counting now. I think he's on on course to actually smash Glenn Murray's record but we'll see and we will see starting with Swansea on Wednesday we'll call it a day there chaps thanks for joining me thank you very much to my lovely co-host Frenchie and Will we will be back next week now if you like what you hear please tell your friends about us we're on Spotify we're on iTunes we're on Facebook we're on Instagram we're on Twitter tell your friends about us we appreciate the support see you soon 